on today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. Vasily Pod Colson. He is officially in the fold with the Vancouver Canucks last week. He signed a entry level deal with the team. We'll get into all of that. The Canucks are picking ninth in the 2021 NHL entry draft. Thank God they didn't move down any spots. And our guest this week is none other than the province's Patrick Johnston. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? All right, welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi, and the silly pod Colson is in the fold for the Vancouver Canucks. He signed his entry-level deal last week. I wanted to give it a, a, a few days to let it marinate, and it's going to be interesting to see where he fits in with this Vancouver Canucks team. Travis Green has had a history of these stud rookies getting their opportunities with the big club, putting them in a position to succeed. It'll be interesting to see where he fits in right at training camp. You remember Niels Hoaglander last year, right on the second line with Bo Horvat, and he succeeded. He, he, he exceeded expectations, I think, from a lot of people. Vasily Podkolzin, a good, you know, for everything I've read about him online, he's ready to step into the NHL right now, a good two-way player. Maybe helps out on the wing with Bo Horvat, but you don't re-sign a guy like Tanner Pearson if you don't play him on the wing with Bo Horvat. So maybe he's a third-line guy with JT Miller as a center. I can see that. But if you're expecting Vasily Pod Colson to perform to his absolute potential, playing with a center like Jay Beagle, or they re-sign Brandon Sutter for some reason and they play with him, it's I don't think it's going to work out. And another thing for Pod Colson, he is really the last of this pipeline of stud Canuck rookies that are going to be coming into the fold. You obviously last year had Hoaglander and then Hughes, Pedersen, Besser. We've been spoiled here in Vancouver with stud rookies coming in and giving us something to be excited about. But after Pud Colson, that's really it. And we'll see what they do with this ninth overall pick. That if they keep the pick, which I sure as hell hope they do, that's going to be the next stud rookie lined up for the Vancouver Canucks. But after Pud Colson, this is it, folks. This is the end of the Canucks pipeline of prospects. Yoni Yermo, not going to be a big contributor right away if he ever becomes one. You know, like this is, Pod Colson is it for this pipeline of Canucks prospects to come, to come in and make an immediate impact with the, with the big team. The Canucks fell to ninth. Well, they didn't fall to ninth. They stayed at ninth. Or the 2021 NHL entry draft, they have to keep the pick. I, I'm, I'm, I've been, I've come around to they really do have to keep the pick. 
Before, I, I gotta admit, if the right deal came around, I would consider it. But now, thinking about it a bit more, you really do need to keep that pick, and you really need to get another top-tier prospect into the system. Teams that are legit in the Stanley Cup playoffs, teams that are legit, they always have a guy on the ELC outperforming their contract. Kale McCarr in Colorado, Andrei Sveshnikov in Carolina. The good teams always have someone punching way above their weight in terms of their salary cap hit. And increasingly, those are guys on ELCs. The Canucks, if they want to take that next step to be a legit contender in the next couple of years, they need a guy who can come in on ELC and be an absolute stud for them. That's what it comes down to. That's why they really do need, I think, to, to keep this pick and try and take a guy with some serious upside. You should be able to get a decent player at ninth. Mason McTavish is a guy a lot of people have suggested just because there is a need for that third line center for the Vancouver Cucks. That's center depth. You can never have too many centers. So a guy like Mason McTavish is on a lot of people's radar. But this is going to be a weird draft. This is going to be a draft where a lot of players are selected in hindsight where maybe they shouldn't have been because the development of these players in terms of where they've played is all over the place. OHL didn't even play any games this year. They just stopped. So it's going to be interesting to see where all these players slot in. And other than that, not really much is, is going on. You know, we have the 2011 anniversary next week, June 15th of, of game seven. And I, I can say it right now. We'll have a very special guest from the 2011 team that will be joining our podcast for that occasion. I won't say who it is on the podcast now. I'll tease it a bit later in the week on our Twitter page. So stay tuned for that. But other than, other than that, not much. We're still waiting for news of the Henrik Sedin, Daniel Sedin management situation. Still waiting for that to drop. But other than that, you know, not, not much going on. We're waiting for a lot of things Lost shoes to drop right now for the Vancouver Canucks because I do think if there are changes made to this team, it will be on the roster side. Now, we mentioned it off the top. Our guest this week and that other than Post Media's Patrick Johnson. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Okay, so we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Next Misconduct Network, a podcast is officially our second recurring guest. We're going to have a string of recurring guests from the podcast coming on. It is Patrick Johnston of the province. PJ, how are you doing today? Good, man. Is this, is this a sign that uh, we've hit the wall? You, you've managed to interview every single person involved in the Canucks community? Uh, you, you know what? It's, it's, also, it's kind of that. It's also kind of, you know what? We've been doing this for a year and a half. I feel it's time to get the, the best of going. It's time to nice. get, you know, the, the best of people <laughs> starting, right? Like I, I, we've had, we've had enough of the, uh, we've had enough. We've like, not to say like, I don't want to have more different guests on, but I've been doing this since January of 2020. Right. You know, it's, it's time to, you know, bring back the, uh, the hits. Was I, I'm trying to think now, because I remember I was on after the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. Was I like one of the last in-studio guests? That's, that's what I was going to get to. I was looking it up. You are officially, you are officially the last in-studio guest that we've had on this podcast. That was March of last year, right after the, uh, after the game, they blew in Columbus in the third period. It was right after that. Oh, wow. Wow. 
Okay. Wow. Okay. So that was, is that literally the week everything stops? Was that like that Monday? Night? No, I, I think there was like, there was a couple more weeks after that, okay. but you are the officially, you are officially the last in-person guest we've had. Wow. Yeah. The one Louis Domingue start. The one Louis, the one Louis Domingue start. Yes, yes, exactly. So uh, we're going to do this with every recurring guest we've had a uh, little yeah. performance review. How do you think you did last time? I think I did pretty good. Yeah. I gave you, I gave you some, uh, I gave you some stuff to cook with. I th- yeah, I think I did pretty good. I think you were the one talking about uh, Markstrom's meniscus. That was the that was a big thing at the time, right? And Moj saying, you know, you could get back in in two weeks or what have you. I've, here's what yeah. I've always wondered always wondered about. It's kind of a big sliding doors mm-hmm. moment for the Canucks this past year and a half. What would have happened if that season plays out it, as it regularly does, and Markstrom right. misses all that time, and you have yeah. to go with Demko Domingue? Like. What do you think? What do you think? Sliding doors moment. We'll never know what, what really happened, but what do you think would have happened that rest of the season if Markstrom doesn't play out the rest? You know, it is, it is a great question. And it is why people kind of come at you say, Oh, so you're saying they made the playoffs. And I'm like, well, under the rules they came up with, yes, they made the playoffs. <laughs> but I, I think it is a fair question for you to ask. Like what the heck? Yeah. What the heck would have happened? Um, you know, they they were they were a team that we know they were very I mean this teeter's team was the same. They were very reliant on the goaltending, yeah. right? Um and in the end, you know, if the goaltending wasn't gonna be there, like it whatever they did up front didn't matter. Like they were still they they had opened the season scoring at a really like good clip, right? Like they were one of the better sort of overall offenses in the league. But even that was starting to dry up a little bit. I think we're we kind of forget. I mean, Tyler Toffoli was so great when he came in. And obviously, um, you know, we, we maybe forget a little bit, you know, how important that was. It wasn't just that he was like a home run acquisition. It was life offensively that hadn't been there um you know it was just such a sort of a hit and miss uh setup at that point and um you know i I think i think that's the real thing to remember was that like it wasn't like they were scoring goals by the bushel full i mean brock besser had Mm -hmm. just come back he played one game then they flew there we you know we all flew off to arizona and everything stopped so you know brock besser i mean he was struggling you know you talked to him about this season i wrote a little bit about this after the season and and I said it earlier in the year, like I was just like, Brock Besser is this team's MVP this year. Now it's not exactly the best year to be an MVP, um, but he was their most consistent forward. He was there most nights. I think he had, you know, played all every game this season, never dealt with an injury. Um, and I think had maybe five games where he didn't have a shot on goal. Like most games, multiple shots. And like, you know, like was some nights was double digits. Like he had, he had at least one or one or two 10 shot nights. Um, and it was sort of, you know, you look at the, the, it's, it's the sort of comparison of what you saw versus what you didn't see. So we saw so much. Well, that reminds you how, you know, last year was a struggle. He wasn't, he wasn't a hundred percent, you know, he started, he came back too quick because of his back problem. Um, and also just, you know, was dealing with his contract, dealing with his dad, the list, you know, you know, the, the list was long and difficult. So, um, you know, I think the thing that, the thing to remember in the end was that this was a team that was struggling scoring, that wasn't great defensively. You know, Thatcher Demko, I think, was probably going to find a groove, but they had no margin for error. Yeah. And certainly, um, 
I think I think the feeling now would have been that Markstrom, or then even then, I guess, was that Markstrom was probably going to be back in time for the last couple of games of the season. If I remember off the top of my head, you're right. Like Moj said, a couple of weeks. I had sort of heard. I mean, it was a minor, you know, it was a minor surgery. It was one of those ones they had to open them up and you know get in there and see what the damage is. It wasn't as bad, I think, as as you know they had perhaps you know the worst case scenario had might have been. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like they were falling away from a competitor that it was all of a sudden playing out of its head hockey. Um, yeah, it's a great question. It's a fascinating one. It's one we'll never have an answer to. Yeah, and one thing I think we we do have the answer to. Yellow, uh, uh, your 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 camera is frozen, but I can still hear you. One thing we we do have the answer to, I think, is there there needs to be work done with this team. There needs to be some significant changes and. I think, you know, it's going to come from the roster more than the management or hockey operations. Like I brought this up uh, last week when we had a uh, sat on in, you know, I, I could list off right here. I have the list of everything that happened this season and, and it's wild. Lo- the logo controversy. Do you remember that? That was kind of the thing that kind of started it all off in my opinion. Like the mask. The, the, yeah, the mask and the whole logo, like cultural appropriation oh, kind like, of debate okay, online. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. yeah the, Mark Donnelly getting fired by Francesco Aquilini over Twitter. Yet, obviously, the, the P1 COVID outbreak, yeah. uh, the fire betting plane, Jim Benning surviving getting fired twice in the span of, you know, three months. Like, mm. it was an eventful season. And that's just, that's just you know, a few things I, I can think of off the top of my head. Like, it was a very eventful season. And I made this point last week, but it's still, you know, it still rings true that after all that, they finished last in the division. In any other organization, I think, someone has to fall on the sword. A head has to roll. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen, right? Like, Jim Benning's going to be back. Travis Green is going to be back. Looks like the coaching staff around Travis Green, for the most part, is going to be back. We don't really have an answer yet on Ian Clark, although they're going to be working on it. But it's not his fault the Canucks yeah. finished seventh in the North Division, right? And it's just, when you look back at the season, you know, five years, years now, PJ, like, what's the one thing you're going to take away from it? Like what's the one thing that's going to stand out to you? Because there's so much that happened in such a condensed schedule of 56 games. Well, COVID, I mean, is the easy answer, right? But yeah, right. Um, It's because of all the sort of different, different entry points, if you will. Right. Like there's literally the pandemic, (laughs) you know, all the stuff off ice, no fans. Uh, it's such a catch-all, but to me, that's it is actually not a cliched answer because there's a lot to get into. There's, there's the fact there were no fans. Um, there's, there's you know all the protocols we had to follow. Uh, you know, from a media perspective, doing like we're doing now, doing everything yeah. in the room, um, which I think in the end, you know, like every, you know, hoping everything goes somewhat back to normal next season. You know, it, the 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 online media session, media conferences is not something I think the teams or the players want, you know, to do ever again if they don't have to. I imagine it gets tiring after a while. Well, doing like yeah, stuff like I'll, this. I'll, let me come back to that. But yeah, we can talk <laughs> a bit more about that. But um you know the the obviously the outbreak that completely, you know, I mean they were playing they were playing okay. They weren't amazing. Yeah. Um, and, but I think the bigger thing, really, what I would be thinking of was the sort of decisions made by uh, ownership to to pursue austerity instead of sort of punching your way through it, 
listen, you can do, they own the team. They can spend the money however they want or not spend the money however they want. Um, but I still stand by what I've said more than once, which is that when, when, when things are up against it, you know, your, your true character shows again through your true sort of self shows through and how you act and, and the way they treated their staff. Um, I think it was just unacceptable. I, I get that there were financial decisions to be made, but they, they fired everybody, you know, uh, there was a couple dozen people working by the end, you know, there were, you know, it, it, you know, the, the, the sort of consequences of people felt on the ground, the people who do the work, um, people who had real pride in working at that for that organization. And, um, you know, I was, it's the 10th anniversary of the riot, right? I talked to, so I've talked to, I talked to Mike Gillis last week about it. Yeah. And I was there. It was, it was a wild time. What's that? I was there. It was, it was a wild time. I remember. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, you know, I asked him, you know, sort of from, you know, cause he was in the building and obviously saw what was going on outside. You know, he didn't end up going through all that. Chris Higgins, by the way, I was a little, I had a good chat with Chris Higgins and that we have a story coming up this weekend um, at the province. Uh, Chris Higgins actually was living in a long stay hotel uh, on Seymour. So he was, he literally got driven home and watched what was happening from his, his window. Like wow. his, he was right in it. And he was like the newest guy. Whereas, you know, Gillis, we lived um, uh, on the West side of Vancouver. And so, you know, he was at the rink with his family and then they, you know, he ended up driving home later. Um, I talked to Yannick Hansen actually in similar terms. Yannick lived in Yale town. He said, you know, his, his, his comparison was like, it might've well been, the other side of the world, what was going on, not, not a few blocks away from him. But you know, what, what Gillis really highlighted to me was something I've heard so many times um, was, and it's who he thought of was that he was really upset for all the people that worked that was at, you know, had been working for the team for, for a long time, you know, people who had real pride, you know, for where they worked, for what they did, um, knowing how important, you know, the connections are private operation, but knowing how important, they are in, in the public consciousness as sort of a community um, operation, you know, something that people look towards. Um, and if, you know, you're going to be an owner and you're going to put community leader in your Twitter bio, like community leaders shouldn't be firing everybody they can and trying to sort yeah. of cut, you know, every single bit just to, just to, so that you can, you know, break even. I mean, there, I know there's a bit of debate. Uh, Alex Blair from from the On Air podcast. I think he had about. I mean, I wrote about it in a story. Had about said he'd heard the deficit this year was about twenty million dollars. I actually heard from people since then, and I think actually the teams broke even this season. They, that, that they cut so much. Wow. You know. You know, good. I you know, from an accounting perspective, I guess good for them. But like from a human perspective, come on, like the the amount of money involved with running your hockey team, you know, giving your wealth, it's a drop in the bucket and it's an investment and, you know, it's all these things. Anyway. So that's, that's what will stand out to me. It was just the kind of sourness of everything. And then, and then obviously the fact that the players got sick and, you know, thankfully it seems to have come through. Okay. And nobody, nobody seems to have suffered long lasting consequences. Um, but yeah, just sort of the tightrope of everything, the tightrope of COVID. That'll that'll be my memory. Well, you know, I, I, I'm sure you know very well, like a lot of the people who work 
outside of, you know, the front facing jobs within the Canucks. But I just remember the whole Jake for situation and mm-hmm. Travis green having to answer all these questions yeah. from, from you guys. That wasn't fair. I, I hated that. I, I was disgusted by that because yeah. this guy at the time, it was very clear they're going to let his contract run out and you have to let him answer all these questions mm-hmm. when he doesn't know his future with the team. And at that point, you know, they obviously got a contract extension done, but at that point it looked like very well, he was going to test the, the free agent, coaching market and look like maybe it was, I, I was saying on this podcast, there was a 50, 50 chance he's gone. And at that point to let this guy who has passed this season, no yeah. connection to the team to have the answer to these questions was, was terrible. And to, to go on to your, we could talk about a bit about 2011 now, because yeah. um, look, we're going to have next week is uh, June 15th uh, on a Tuesday when we're going to release this and we're going to release, you know, when we usually release this podcast, we're going to have a very special guest from nice. the 2011 uh, team that we are going to tease later this week. I'll tell, I could tell you after, but we're going to, we're going to have to nice. tease it later. We're going to have to tease okay. it later this week, but wait, is it Roberto Luongo? Oh, I wish <laughs> it's someone on the team. I could say it's someone on the team, Okay, but I, I will not, I can't, well, I, I always say it. there's no way you're getting Roberto. That's why. Yeah, you know, Wow. That's a, that, that you're, you're really selling me short there. You don't think I can get Roberto Luongo on this podcast. All right. Look, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fellow Italian. I'm sure we can, we can pull yeah, some strings point, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, 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 don't tell me short that much, but <laughs> I can, were you, were you, what are your memories about that 2011 run, especially the 2011 final? Were you writing about, were you working for Canucks army at the time? Were you still teaching? Because I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this now, and this is maybe me being a, a bit of a biased Canucks fan, but I don't think there's been a Stanley cup final since that 2011 final between Vancouver and Boston. That's had the same vitriol between the team, the city, mm-hmm the fan base, just the intensity of that Stanley cup final, I don't think has been matched in any future, any Stanley cup final since then, you know, it's all, I think it was a combination of two teams with the Canucks never winning a Stanley cup, the Boston Bruins, you know, they hadn't won a Stanley cup at that time since Bobby Orr was on the team, right? It's been a while for them. Yeah. Original six ba- fan base. It was two really passionate fan bases, two teams that like legitimately felt like they hated each other, right? Like they had so yeah. many little instances in this series that really culminated in two teams that really hated each other. And that rivalry, like really extended past the Stanley cup file. Like I remember, and I'm sure you remember watching the game eight in January of last yeah. of the next year between Boston yeah. and Vancouver. And there was all this talk. I remember at the time, all the players saying, and all and the coaching staff saying, Oh, you know, it's just a regular, another regular season game. We have to treat it as such. And immediately there was like this huge brawl. And it was very, I think it was John Shorthouse on the call for sports and saying like, Oh, you can throw out all the cliches of this just being another regular season game. Like it clearly meant a lot more to those teams. Like, you know, six, seven months after that final, I also remember being around the riots at the time. Uh, I went down there for, uh, for game seven with, with my buddy, because uh, unfortunately at STM at the time, there was a, uh, then the next day, June 16th was the chemistry uh, provincial exam. And I knew, I knew very early on PJ that I was not going to pursue any career in STEM. So I didn't take, I, I didn't, I didn't take chemistry 11. I didn't, ta- I didn't take it. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. So a lot of my buddies were, were unfortunately watching the game from home. Cause they have to kind of watch right. the game and then, you know, cram for whatever the hell chemistry 11 provincial exam looked like, yeah. but I managed to convince my one buddy who was actually credit to him. He had the chemistry exam the next day, but he didn't give a shit. So he yeah. went down there and watched to watch the game. And look, I remember telling my buddy on the sky trip, heading down there, we are going to be 
downtown for the biggest party this city has ever seen, or there's going to be some trouble. Like there was really that that was a sense I got heading down there at the time. There was there was just a ton of people, a ton of anxious energy. And of course, they they lose the game. And I, I, I don't know if I should be laughing about this, but I remember someone throwing a chair through the blends coffee. And wow. I remember th- I remember thinking, like, well, wow, okay, this is the we're not in Kansas anymore. Like this is yeah. this yeah. is a this is a serious situation. And I'm and, and to be honest, I, I stuck around I stuck around there for way too long uh, afterwards. I remember just standing around and you would just have to run because there would just mm. be a giant crowd and people like, oh, there's tear gas, you just gotta run. And hopefully you like, don't get trampled or anything like that. Yeah. And why I stay, I remember why, why did I stay so long? I, I remember it was my buddy, the same guy who was taking the chemistry exam was about to go to uh, Canadian armed forces, basic training in a couple of weeks huh. in Wainwright, Alberta. Huh. And he was like, Oh, great. This is perfect training for me. I'm going to stick around. And I was huh. like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the wimp huh. who, who backs out of the battle. Like I got to stick around. Huh. And fortunately we, we managed to get one of the last, uh, last sky trains out of there before they shut it down. Wow. Of course I got, I, yeah, I get back home. My parents are worried sick. They're like, where the hell were you? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. They're obviously watching the, uh, the, the live coverage on, on, on TV, but I guess that's a long winded answer. Me saying like, what do you remember from the, from the 2011 finals? Well, it's interesting. I just was looking up the, just reminding myself who's been in the Stanley cup since, I mean, obviously the Kings have been a couple of times, um, the Bruins, the Blackhawks, the Penguins, but you look at, you know, every Stanley cup, I mean, and then 2020, obviously is just a complete, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. That's the only seven game, seven game series uh, we've had since 2011 was the 2019 St. Louis Boston series. Um, but you look at like even that series, like most of, like I was actually going through this, like just quickly going through the score boxes here. Like it was all stick fouls. Like there's just like a bunch of high sticking and tripping. Like it's just a reminder in, in a certain level, a reminder of where the NHL is not focusing its officiating energies, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, they've mostly been Stanley Cup finals where there's been a clear favorite and the favorites won. I think, you know, a lot of four, two, there's, two four one series is even like just one team came in just with more firepower less hurt whatever um the 2011 series you're right i mean it was partly the sort of framing of the way that the the sort of rest of the league perceived those canucks as being you know arrogant full themselves um you know some i suppose animosity from from sort of uh you know like let's be honest how a lot of the league uh, does not see eye to eye with, you know, a guy like Mike Gillis. Um, and Mike doesn't, Gillis doesn't care about that. <laughs> you know, he's just like, yeah. well, you know what? I've been pretty damn successful in my life. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of it, I think is a suspicion of, of sort of the powers that be um, going back years, because in the end, he yeah. was one of the first people to expose Alan Eagleson. Um, mm-hmm. But I think also, sorry, Peter, but I think also that kind of hindered him in his, in his GM well, role, you know, you know, not being part of the old boys club because you see it all uh, the time in, in, in being an NHL you know, GM your perception, is, yeah, is yeah, you know, I, I guys want to do favors for each other. And if people right. don't like you, they're not willing. Like it definitely hindered him the whole Luongo situation, right? Like when he wasn't able to get off that contract, like maybe if he's part of the old boys club, uh, he, he, you know, someone does him a favor, but yeah, I, I agree with your point. Sorry. I'll let you back. I, I, don't, it, but, I guess I would say at the same time, I don't think you get, if he had been more of a, 
I mean, I I don't know this, but my impression is that it's not like it's us, it's the whole world against him. But I guess my point is, is that you don't get who he is like in in portions. You it's all or yeah. nothing. And you know, you're not there's not a world, I think, where he and like Brian Burke, for instance, are gonna see eye to eye and he is not the person that he is. Like that's just life. Um that's unfortunate, but that's life. So anyway, it, this doesn't mean this isn't meant to be a Mike Gillis podcast, but just it just that the team was very you know, obviously like I mean it was absurd because this was this is a brilliant all-time team. And you know, it, it's a bit like if they win one game, no, you know, the, the dialogue is so different. Um one more game. They needed one more game. And it's it's sort of amazing how things turn. But it, here we are. I mean, you look in many ways. Look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Look at the Avalanche. Like those are teams that are basically doing the same thing the Canucks were doing, which was, you know, smart defensemen who can move the puck. You know, even Vegas. Like Vegas is a little more, bit more rough and tumble, perhaps. But like even Vegas is like puck possession, attacking. You know, fast wingers, fast defensemen, smart players all over the ice. You know, you do, you know, obviously Vegas has the Ryan Reeves element um, if they need to play it. But, like, he is such an outlier as a player now that, like, whatever, you know? I mean, the Canucks had Rafi Torres, I suppose. Yeah. He's, he's not the kind of player, but still was a loose cannon. and was, was They had noted uh, serial goon Aaron Rome. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Like, the most outlying suspension <laughs> of all time. Like, what? Anyway, I wonder if it had something to do with uh, one of the players on the Bruins' dad being a part well, of a well, NHL see. player safety. Yeah, again, as I've written about, you know, it's just it just remains ridiculous. But I mean, this is how this league is. This is what they want. Um, you know, many ways. I think a lot of it is because Gary Bettman's made these owners a lot of money over the years, and you know, he's been able to keep the guys that he needs to in line and on his side, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's a funny, it's a funny business, man. It's not, it's not, um, people try, I've, I've said this many times and I'm, I'm going to keep, keep hammering it. People try, try to use logic to understand how hockey works. They should stop. It, it's not, <laughs> yes. you know, conventional logic doesn't apply. Um, you know, the only logic that really applies is if Gary Batman thinks this is the best, you know, Gary Batman and his little cabal think this is what's best for hockey. And, you know, to a degree, you can't argue with that, right? They've built a successful enterprise over the years. Now, could it be more successful? Probably. Um, but, you know, that's why I'm here and I'm here to keep talking about it, which is that, you know, hockey's a good game. It could be great. NHL's a good league. Could be great. Um you know, so that's the thing that sticks out. I think 2011, in the end, it's just like, oh, man. It was the reminder for Canucks fans. So I wasn't, just to answer your, I guess, your original question, I wasn't writing yet. Um, actually, that's not true. I was. I just started at Canucks Army. I started during the San Jose series. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was mostly a tweeter. I was still teaching, although I'd made the decision to go back to school. And I, was, I, I started journalism school that fall. I did the one-year program at Langara, um, which was great because it taught me a bunch of stuff that I needed to be taught. Journalism school isn't for everybody, but it was good for me. Um, and yeah, it was just, you know, so I was still, I mean, I was still basically in fan mode. I watched the game with a couple of buddies at, uh, you know, at, um, and, uh, at our buddy, at my buddy's house near um, uh, Nanaimo and Hastings. Nice. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the game was over and we're like, well, that sucked. 
And then we're like, I don't know. I can't remember how we would have known. I mean, maybe I had, I guess I would have checked Twitter. I was using Twitter. Yeah. And, and that's another thing I want to bring up about the 2011 final. Like that was just right before everyone, I think, you know, Twitter became kind of the, the focal point of how fans interacted about the Canucks and yeah, sure. the ho- hockey. And, like, I think doing, was, what were you doing? Were you on Twitter or were you doing other? No, stuff? I had it. I had it on Twitter. I got Twitter June of 2012, like right before I graduated okay, high school. Cool. So in 2011, what were you doing? Well, game seven, I was down. I was right in front of the CBC. No, 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 no. Like, but like, how the would game. you discuss the Canucks in those days? Uh, you know, on Facebook. Okay. On Facebook, like Facebook Messenger, like just Facebook status updates and just talk about like, like my buddies Canucks, the next day. Would, would you go to like HF boards or Canucks.com community boards or something? Uh, I would do like maybe a little bit of HF boards. It was mostly just talk about it with my friends. That was like, that was my main connection with how I interacted uh, with Great. the Canucks. I think it's probably too, like, just, I mean, Twitter was a little bit of way to engage with people and talk with people. I mean, I used to go on, there was a chat group I used to go to way back when. Um, I didn't, I never posted really on like, on any of the other like boards, like the chat groups or anything. I just, I was more a lurker. I'd read, there were a bunch of, a couple of blogs I like to read and I'd sort of see what people were saying, but mostly I was just kind of floating along in my own little universe. You know, I yeah. mean, I go read the curtain blog and, pass it to Bullis and see what they were doing and then go on about my day. And sometimes I mean, I, you know, I was, I don't know. It's just funny. Like, you know, I just turned 30 when, you know, 2011, I just turned 30 and I was not sure what I was doing with my life, but I was paying the bills, you know, didn't have a whole lot going on. Like to go out and have some beers with the boys. That was the last season I played rugby. I retired from rugby that year. Yeah, you know, I was playing hockey. Like it was just, you know, you have your weird little life and say, so, I mean, 10 years later. That sounds like, pretty you know, good to me. It wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> bad. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's strange to look back. You know, there is that sort of sliding doors bit to it. What if they win? What if they won one more game? Well, you know, well if they like, won, I can tell you what happens right now, PJ. If if they win that Stanley Cup, people online talk about the Vancouver Canucks are a lot calmer. Like if you have that kind of one Stanley Cup mm-hmm. to all fall back on and be like, oh yeah, that was that was awesome. I think mm-hmm. people are a lot chiller. I'm telling you right now, we got we're like a few days away from the Euro starting. I could watch Italy win, like any of those clips from Italy win the 2006 world right. cup. And right. like, I, I could watch those things on repeat. Like I, I never, I can never get tired of watching that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that would be the same for Canucks fans. If they won, it's just kind of just like, oh, okay, we can go, we can go back and, and relax and watch, you know, Henrik Sedin walk or you know, skate around Rogers arena with the Stanley cup. Yeah. Well, and I think about it too, just from my, you know, I suppose from the journalistic perspective, what else would happen? Like, I think Gillis, was he on all, he was with Alex Blair earlier, his podcast earlier on Monday. Yes. Right. Everyone go check that out. I haven't listened yeah. to it yet, but I, I assume it, it's amazing. Yeah. I guess Alex is a good guy. You know, Gillis basically says he probably would have retired. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually asked him that question. I talked to him once in a while, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would make sense. You know, that was kind of, that, that was why he was there. He wants to win, you know? And, uh, you know, maybe, you see, I don't know, I guess Lawrence Gilman maybe would have taken over as GM and we'd be in year 10 of him. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's, it's funny to think about literally how everything, I mean, it's, there's a great line, um, an old sort of play and then a movie called the history boys. And it's about these, these high school students in, in England in the early eighties studying for these big exams. And one of them was asked to define what does history mean to him? And he just says this one, can I, am I allowed to swear? I'm allowed to swear. Go on, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's one bloody, it's one fucking thing after another. <laughs> 
which is is perhaps glib, yes, but it, in many ways it is. I mean, things happen, right? Like there's a there are certain things you can tie. Why did this happen? You can sort of look at the dominoes and you know talk about who was in charge or what sort of uh, you know issues were happening in society, what were affecting people. But sometimes things just happen. Like, eh, went yeah. left, went right. They won this game. They lost that. You know. Um, yeah, let's talk. Let's yeah, yeah. No, we can move on from the 2011 talk now. But two things I want to say before uh, that I just remembered about the riots and like things that happened before. You know, like I said, someone threw a chair through the window of blends. I'm like, okay, shits, shits him the fan. Uh, two people just. I remember two people just randomly bumping at each other, like, kind of like a shoulder check, and then like this one guy, they just started fighting. Like they were just drunk and pissed off, and they started oh fighting. And one per- they had like porta potties like set up like out there obviously yeah, for yeah. good reason and it's one guy like somehow managed to climb up on top of a porta potty he's like doing a jig dancing and one oh, guy just God. runs but goes like full on body checks a thing and this guy just falls off the porta potty oh, i never God. i never found out what happened to the poor guy oh. but those are two things that yeah. i just i it's obviously terrible but i just keep i just look back and laugh like holy shit like why the hell was i sticking around for as long Incredible. as i did wow. oh my god yeah no it was a riot was a was a wild time but let, let's move on to more you know current connects topics uh basili pod Coles. now this guy has signed his entry-level deal he is coming over and he's probably i would assume start with the canucks uh mm-hmm. to start next season uh what do you think his role is going to be uh with the team next season because i think travis green the one thing i will give him a ton of credit for is when he sees a hot shot rookie he's mm-hmm. not afraid to kind of put him in the fire mm-hmm. and, and let him you know sink or swim we obviously the best example is obviously elias patterson right mm-hmm. everyone's talking about at the time oh this guy's got to learn you know how to play center he's got to play on the wing with brandon sutter to start his nhl career which looking back is totally ridiculous right like right. lee Patterson, like having to learn how to play center from brandon sutter should be the other way around but um <laughs> yeah like so like and then so that was a talk i remember at the at the time was Elias Patterson has to start on the wing and then maybe eventually right. he'll he'll, he'll yeah. switch to center yeah. and travis green at that training camp said no fuck that like we're gonna put him at center and the rest, as they say, is history. It really changed a lot with the Vancouver Canucks. That great article by the uh, late great Jason Bosch for, for the Athletic kind of outlined all that. Yeah, Quinn Hughes pretty much playing top pairing minutes yeah, yeah. as soon as he started with the Canucks. Uh, Brock, people, I think, forget that Travis Green initially sat Brock Besser for the first two games uh, of his NHL career. Yeah. That's kind of been that's kind of been forgotten about. But yeah. after that, you know, he obviously saw what Brock Besser can do, and right. he gave him a ton of ice time. Niels Hoaglander is kind of a, a same situation. He started on the second line in, in training camp and he's proven to be, I think he'll be a good middle six winger for this team going yep. forward. And we saw it in, in spurts with Jack Rathbone, right? We, he, he was not afraid to put him pretty much right away on the power right. play and, right. you know, see what he could do. Do you think we'll see a similar situation with Silly pod Colson? Do you think like Travis green is, is willing to put this guy in a position to succeed right away? Because, I think it, for everyone else, there is, you know, a, a guy like Elias Patterson, Niels Hoaglander. They played in the Swedish Elite League, obviously. Quinn Hughes, Jack Rathman, and CAA. Yeah. There's the Russian factor with with Vasily Podkolzin. I like I. There is that Russian factor with Vasily Podkolzin, and I don't know if if Travis Green is going to want to put him on that second line right away, where I right. think his long term yeah. fit is. I think in the end, it, it comes down to what we've seen before. 
you know, the track record is if you're good enough to play, you're going to play. And there's every reason to think the Colson is going to be a guy that is just going to slot right in. I mean, it, it's a little bit necessity as the mother of invention. They are going to be in a difficult cap position, no matter what, um, you know, we'll still see what happens in terms of, um, you know, whatever maneuvering they're able to do to, to, um, you know, they're going to have to create some little more space somehow, whether that's in trade or in a buyout or, um, the, some sort of miraculous Louis Erickson retirement, retirement. Um, I know Rick Dollywell's, I mean, I've sort of mooted that question. Um, Rick Dollywell kind of dumping all over that idea last week, I think basically said JP Perry says, yeah, no way. Um, but you know, I mean, it's going to be still be a tight lineup getting a guy in like Buck Colson who can play as well as he can is on as cheap a contract as he will be, um, is, is big. And, you know, I sort of penciled them in as to third line to start with just because Niels Hoaglander was so important for the Horvat Pearson line. Um, you know, but I think there's also a chance. I mean, you sort of think about all the different options. I do think there's a good chance that JT Miller ends up being the third line center. Um, really? Is that what really what we're, we're going to do? Know. Because just, you just for, look at the options. You just have to be like, how, why are we, why do we want to break up? Why do the Canucks want to break up well, the lotto line? That's a, that, that is a good thing going for them. Yeah. And, no, no. I get but it. for the third line center, you need, you know, decent wingers to play with the guy. <laughs> So who's yeah. going to wait? We're going to put Zach McEwen well, with, that, with which comes back JT to Miller. Why, Come on, yeah. Why this team is going to have some challenges next year? Um, you know, I think you could theoretically. What if you, you know, you could let's see what Puck Colson looks like with with uh, with Besser and and Patterson, right? But you know, JT Miller, I think, is a better winger than he is a center. Um, playing in soft minutes might be interesting as the number three guy. Um, but that's a lot of money to spend on your number three guy. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, Puck Colson's going to play where he slots in will be an interesting question. Um, but it still remains that you're still missing, you know, two key forwards in your top nine. Um, and just what all that means, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you're not gonna, you're just not going to solve those problems. Like, successfully in free agency um there's just not a lot of a lot of options out there now there might be you know there are i've I've talked a lot about finding a defense like they need defensemen and if you're making a trade i think you should be talking to carolina you should be talking to colorado because they they're teams that have extra guys um but you know it it it, it's it's going to be a challenge no matter what happens paul colson's going to play but who he plays with well you know we'll see it's that, that, that forever is going to be a question that, that lingers for me. Yeah. And with the silly pod Coles, and like, I, I personally think he starts off on that third line, just because you don't re-sign a guy like Tanner Pearson to play on the third line. Like you, you re-sign him because Bill Horvat yeah. likes playing with him. Right. Like yeah. that, yeah. that's why you re-sign a guy like, yeah. like Tanner Pearson. So I, I think he starts off on, on the third line, but I think his success early on will be determined who's playing third line center if it's if it's a guy like brandon sutter if they for some reason want to bring him back on a cheap deal or god forbid you know like a jay beagle i don't know what's going on with his injury situation yeah you can can kiss any sort of offense from facility pod goals and goodbye like that's not going to be his role but let's say he does somehow you know get jt miller to play center with him 
maybe that could work, but it's just going to be a, a tough situation with Basili Pod Colson. Uh, and let's so let's go to another draft topic. The ninth overall pick. Mm-hmm. There's been some rumors that the Canucks may be interested in, in trading this. Is there any validity to these rumors that the, the Canucks may be trading right. their their ninth overall pick, or is it just you know paranoid fans like myself thinking like, oh my god, how are they going to screw this up? I. <laughs> It, it it's absurd to me to even think about it. I mean, sorry, let me rephrase that. It's absurd to me to even um, to to think about it in terms of picking up a player. I think that's a bad idea. I think that's I think that's just thinking wrong. That's trying to that's trying to find a, yet another band aid to one of your problems. Um, this team has no. I mean. It depends on how you, it does depend on how you look at the, the, the sort of the window as it is, as it were, um, you know, Bo, Bo Horvat is literally, I mean, he's 26. So, you know, that's when players, I mean, it's not, he's useless all of a sudden, but that is when players start to decline in terms of their, from their peak. And, you know, Leas Pedersen is just entering his. So, you know, how do you want to deploy all your resources? How do you want to have all these guys lined up? And if you look at Colorado, you know, they had, they were starting in one direction. They had Nathan McKinnon and then they ejected that core, right? They got rid of Duchesne. They got rid of O'Reilly. Um, they held on to Linus Cog. They held on to McKinnon and they were able to build a new core with those guys involved. Um but like Gabe Landeskog is, you know, 28, 29, right? Like he is now in a different window. I mean, I think they're going to try to keep him, but you know, he is now looking at a different part of his career. And so you need to be you know, kind of conscious how you, how you approach players like that. Um, and I think that from that standpoint, why, you know, I think you, in the end, you need young players. Like this, this is a Canucks team that does not have a ton of prospects coming up after Put calls it right. Like last year's draft, you know, Yoni Yermo is is toolsy, but there's a lot of skepticism over really how well he thinks the game. Jackson Coons, someone compared him to me lately, is saying, "Well, that's like they just didn't re-sign Ethan Kappen. If they didn't see a hole for Ethan Kappen, why should they think there's a hole for Jackson Coons or Coons or however we say his name?" Jamie Truscott, I don't even understand the drafting of him other than he's a defenseman who plays at Michigan. Um, you know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll surprise us all. And Victor person, I think is, you know, he's, you know, he's got some interesting upside to him, but you know, I think realistically there's, you know, he's a seventh round pick. Seventh round picks don't usually make it. Um, there's a, it's a real, it's a good, it sounds like it's a good roll of dice, but you know, you're sitting on not a ton of prospects. Um, I, I think there's an argument to be made to trade down, because you could get a couple interesting players. You're not going to get, I mean, at nine, you might get a Pod Colson type, right? Like, that's the thing to remember is yep. that in every draft, there's good players and there's players that probably will be, should have been drafted higher than they were, should have been drafted lower than where they were. Um, you know, so the pressure is I mean, the pressure's really on Jim Benning on this one, especially since, you know, he's kind of gone back to betting on himself in terms of scouting. Um you know, he's hit some home runs in the first round. Like, there's no doubt about it, right? So, so you know, there is a case just to sit there and take nine. I, th- I think there is a case to trade back. I mean, they've had a couple opportunities in the past where they could have picked up some interesting stuff and had a couple picks. And, 
still ended up with a pretty good player. Like I know the U11 year, there were there was at least one offer on the table that they could have taken that would have seen the fall back in the first round. Still would have ended up with a, you know a shot at a couple of good defensemen. So yeah, I, I think you know I think I think they would be wise to think about stuff like that. Um, but it, at the end of the day, the 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 smartest bet in this instance will be just to sit on the number nine pick and use it. Yeah, and it's, I think it's because you know you mentioned the prospect thing that after Pud Colson, you don't really have like a top tier prospect coming through the system because they're all going to be on the team, and that's I guess that you can chalk that up as credit to Jim Benning for doing well in the draft. But at the same time, like if you want to be a contender in the NHL, you need at least one, maybe two guys performing way above their ELC, right? right? Like you mentioned Colorado, Kale McCarr's making like less than a million a year. Yeah. And he's crossing up guys on the blue line, like prime yeah. Allen Iverson. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. And you have like yeah. Carolina, like Andre Svechnikov, he's going to, he's on his ELC and he's going to want a big payday. And if you want to be a contender, you need at least one, maybe two of those ELC deals that perform way above, you know, what they're going against the salary cap. So the the Canucks, I think they need to, they need to make that pick. I think, yeah, but I think, you know, a lot of people, including myself are worried. Like you said, Jim Benning is under a lot of pressure and he, if he can trade that pick for an impact player right now, there's going to be a lot of temptation to do that. Yep. And, you know, I mean, in the end, it's also about what ownership wants. And that's been a driving factor for, you know, I think basically since Trevor Linden was shown the door. Um, you know, there's a lot of reason. There's a lot of decisions that have been made that you can look to and say, yeah, that looks like it's got ownership's influence. And, you know, I think that's the other thing to recognize here. We've been talking about that, but, um you know, the preferences of ownership are carrying a lot of weight in a way that didn't used to be the case. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason that is, whether that's Francesco Aquilini sort of saying, well, I've been at this 17 years. I, I think I know hockey or, um, you know, just whether there's sort of debate, ongoing debate in, in, inside the family over how they want to handle this team going forward. And it sort of said, well, we got this guy for now and we're going to stick with it. Um, it's, it's, you know, that's kind of where we're at and it's, it's, you know, you, you hear the reports coming out that they're like, well, they want to find out, you know, they want to, or people are pointing out, you guys used to be kind of be, you know, one of the sort of glamour franchises, you know, race leaders, what have you, what happened? And it's like, well, are you actually going to listen? Because there's, there are tangible reasons and you may have to accept that you are to blame for some of this, at least, you know? Um, you know, are you going to show some humility or is it just going to be hubris all the way? And, and that's, that's kind of it. I mean, you know, I think, I think, you know, obviously Jim Benning's doing his job in his own way. Um, you know, not, he was the only general manager, as I understand it at the U18s in Texas. Uh, doing what he wants to do the most, which is scout. Like I don't, you know, that that in many ways, I, I don't fault him for uh, a lot of stuff. Or let me put it this way: I, I don't fault him in a way for being in the position he's in because it's not. It wasn't his choice. Like Trevor Linden was supposed to be the face, right? Like Jim was not supposed to be the face. Um, but that was part of the problem. Was that from the start, it wasn't clear. They didn't have a clear workflow. I mean, remember the stories about how both of them would be making trade calls like separately. Like they just there wasn't a coherent approach. And 
Um, now it's Benning's approach, and that that is something that you know I think is where the criticism um, should focus on because you know he makes the decisions, he makes the signings, and at the end of the day, the results are supposed to be on him. And here we are, eight years later, or seven years later, since sorry, seven years going into his eighth season, and he's made the playoffs twice, and one of those seasons. This is the funny thing where they say, well, you know, this was a season unlike any other. And you're like, I guess so. But so was last year. And you guys, it was a season unlike any other for every other NHL team. So which is it? You know what I mean? Like you, you, you kind of got saved by COVID. So what do you want? Um, But that just speaks to the lack of process from above and, and sort of incoherence in in what they want to be. Like if if you want to be this sort of great leading team in the league, well, look back. I mean, I, Look back to 10 years ago. You guys were spending a lot, yeah. a lot of money. You know, the most money they ever made was in 2011. And the amount of money they spent was off the charts. Um, you know, you look at all the things they were investing in off the ice. Some of it didn't work out. Some of it wasn't necessary. But you, know, you talk to the players on that team and they generally say, you know what? A lot of that stuff we thought was kind of weird at the time, but you look back on it, and it was, it was, it made sense. I mean, the, the food stuff, I mean, all the I mean, teams are just the sleep doctor. Sleep, the sleep doctor was, you know, a bit out there, but, but understanding fatigue and rest and all these things, like the framing of it was all very twee and very, oh my goodness, look at this hockey, hockey, <laughs> you know, like get a brain, look at other sports. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in other sports that's really interesting, really smart. And hockey just wants to be the small town. Small. Actually, I shouldn't denigrate small towns. They're nice small towns. Small time. There's a lot of good small towns. What I mean is, this is small time. Small time thinking, just not ambitious. And like I said, like this team was an outlier. They were spending money. They were trying new ideas, and and I think the players benefited from it. And um, they should get back to that. That's 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 my piece. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Hundred percent. So. Two people who could be joining this management structure are Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Uh, so Sadi Shaw came on this podcast last week and he, he made some noise. Like, thank you to Taj1944 for putting these quotes out there because <laughs> that definitely, guy. that's what, that's what really helped it out. But I'll just read, I'll just read the, the quotes. And sure. of course he had to, he had to add his own a little interjection of his thoughts on it, but I'll just read yeah. the, uh, the transcription. <laughs> so here, here's what Sat said. I'm not reporting anything. This is my, this is my favorite part. The classic big J journalist. I'm not reporting anything. And then proceed to report. Here's something. a thought I had though. <laughs> yeah. I'm not reporting anything, but my theory is when they got together with ownership, they were like, okay, we're letting Jim go. But with the way the whole Sadine thing is working out, if they're going to be groomed to be taking over in a few years, does it make sense to hire a new GM? Mm. I do think there is serious consideration to moving off of Jim. Once they decide on the Sedins coming in and the Sedins wanting to take some time to kind of figure out how this is going to work, it made the most sense to bring Jim back. Mm. So it sounds so Sat made it sound like they were willing to bring in the Sedins to kind of almost take over as a new GM or of some sort. And then they realized, you know what, if we want to we can't just throw Henrik and Daniel Sedin to the wolves in a management structure where they haven't really had any experience. Let's bring Jim back to kind of shepherd them into this process. Like, and this was, you know, it's been what through almost a month, like three weeks since the the news broke that Henrik and Daniel Sedin were going to join the management structure. Like what's your whole sense on the situation? Like what is taking so long? I'm I'm putting my hands up in the air for those not looking at the guy, (laughs) the the emoji where he goes, yeah, the shrug. 
The shrug. Shrug, yeah, the shrug emoji. That's yeah. There's there's a word for it. The shrug emoji. Um, you know, I think I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I'm not poking away too much at it right now because technically I'm taking the next two weeks off. But uh, no, <laughs> nothing would shock. I mean, I said it before, don't use normal logic, especially not with this team. Um, nothing would shock me, really. One of the things that I do, I mean, Sat and I obviously talk about this a lot. Um, I think Sat's take makes a lot of sense. You can't just hand them the keys because that's stupid. They've done, first of all, they've done that once before. It didn't work. It, it went badly. Not to, um, not to, sorry, not to only mention that you would destroy a lot of fan credibility if you just let these guys kind of throw them into the fire, so to say, and let be like, hey, everyone, forget the season. Sabines yeah. are back, shiny little toy over yeah, here. Forget yeah. everything else that happened. Yeah, yeah, and people can kind of see through that. I think the the, the softness of the market is evident. Um, you know, I had a good conversation. With, I wrote a story about this a couple of weeks ago. I had a good conversation with Tom Manek, who you know has been involved with professional sports mm-hmm. for a long time, thinks about these things. You know, and he thought a lot about the brand value of this team and just the challenges it's facing, and a lot of it's just self inflicted own goals, despite the efforts in many ways of the people working there. Um, I, I think the, the Sedins are smart guys, right? I mean, think about what Trevor Linden said last week when he was being interviewed with about. Um, uh, yeah, they, they know what they're getting into. Pumping, they know what they're getting into. Charlie Well said, "Pumping is gyms." Um, <laughs> you know, Linden said. You know, he kind of paused and said, "They know what they know what's going on." You know, like they'll have time. Like they'll know. Like you know, they'll have talked to Trevor and they'll have talked to they'll talk to players on the team. You know, and I, I, I don't know. Yeah, they'll talk to players on the team. They'll have talked to other people involved. I mean, I, I, I don't know if they would have talked. I think they would have talked to Mike Gillis. He would have given their two cents. You know, like what should we do? What do you think? Um, I think they they're smart enough to know that they can't just jump into it and be suddenly be managers. Um. You know, so to their credit, um, you know, you got it. You've got to sort of see what's going on. You got to learn the lay of the land. There's lots of stuff in your job that you didn't realize. You know, in a new, any new job, you can feel trained and ready for, and then you're going to find out things you didn't realize. You know, like that happens. Um, you know, so, you know, so smartly, like like Brett, Brendan Shanahan, his first year gets hired in Toronto and doesn't do anything for a year. Because he wanted to understand what was going on in his organization. And he spent a year figuring out what people were doing. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? How do you do it? What's your pride? What do you, you know? What's your passion? And paying, trying to figure out everything you get about the organization. So if you're the Sedines, you'd be smart to come in and at least do that. Try to figure out what's going on. You know, what makes sense? What do people do? Who's doing a good job? Like learning about all these things. Now, of course, right now, there's not a lot of people working there. Right. So they wouldn't have, even if they were to start today, they wouldn't have a lot of people to talk to. Um, so we'll see, you know, I mean, every, there's no reason to think this isn't happening, but you sit there and you're like, why is this taking so long? Like, what are they waiting for? I mean, you know, you can look at more practical terms, you know, they don't like the AHL team is trying to hire COO. They don't have a name for the AHL team. They don't have a website. They don't have a Twitter account. Like, like everything is at zero um, or one on a scale of a hundred, 
you know, um, exists and that's it, or it exists as a notion. Um, so, you know, there, there's just so much building to be done for next season. And, you know, it's funny, we're in, it's June, right? June, July, August. That's three months. And then it'll be young stars, assuming there's young stars. Um, and they've got to build up a whole organization. So, you know, it, it, it's tough to read what's going on. It, it doesn't to me, it, it, they're going to be very, they, they were so busy and so over, not overwhelmed, but overworked this past season. And now they're just going to jump back into it. It's, you know, I, 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 I think I've made it clear. I'm there for the people doing the work. I have a lot of sympathy for the people who've had to carry all this work this year. Um, but yeah, time's a wasting. So why, yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me why nothing's been announced. Um, if this, you know, it, it, presumably it's happening. There's obviously a trial balloon was floated to see how the market would react. I think the market was sort of, was positive enough, but at the end of the day, people want to feel confident. And, you know, this is something I heard from, obviously I only talked to a certain selection of, of, um, of season ticket holders, but this is, they want to hear like, what's the plan? What's going on? And there's, there's been nothing. So. I mean, it's the off season. I get it. Playoffs are on. I get it. But like, you know, the, you know, the Canucks did their usual thing, which is every year they announced their awards at the last night of the season. And like, I think that makes sense. That works. But like the flames announced theirs yesterday, you know, the other day, like on the weekend, I think. And like, you know, that kind of keeps you in the, in the front of the news. Um, it's a bit weird to do it that way, the way the Flames did it. I think Canucks would do it makes sense, but like there are things happening on the team, but like, the, you know, you go look at the Canucks account, they're still following the Utica comments on their Twitter account. <laughs> Social media manager, like the list goes on and on and on. So like, yeah, where are the Sedins? Where's everybody else? Yeah. But I think, you know, just for fans, like that's, that's the focal point. Like that's where we draw our attention is like Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Like, you know, a lot more people in the actual organization than I do. I know the people who are, you know, facing the camera and, you know, on the ice, that's who I know. But at the same time, like what, what, what do you think Henrik and Daniel Sedin's role will be when this does get announced? Because I've seen, you you make a lot of points about, you know, it being a blank kind of slate in the Abbotsford AHL team. That's Mm -hmm. where I see that make us make the most sense for them to start is, you know, start working with the, with the farm team out in, out in Abbotsford and see where it goes from there. Like all these AHL guys, wouldn't you want to learn how to like pass the puck? Like if Henrik is teaching how to pass the puck, like I'd want to know. Yeah. I want to know how he does it. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think there is an element of like, yeah, sure. They could be skill development guys. Absolutely. Why not? Um, they don't really have a, you know, Chris Higgins was sort of turned into the skills coach for the Canucks this year. He was supposed to be a development guy. Ryan Johnson was supposed to be the development guy, but was spending a lot of his time as general manager of the comments, you know? Um, I think, I think that's, you know, as far as I understand it, Ryan's going to stay. He lives in his, his full-time home is in Nashville. Um, and I don't believe he's going to be moving, you know, so that positions him to be working with prospects more than dealing with the AHL team. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, you know, so maybe the CDs do get sort of involved with that. I don't know. We'll see. Like Chris gear has obviously been quite involved. Chris gear was mentioned by name by Robert Ash, you know, and they're sort of thank you. Thank you to the Canucks message uh, from the comments. You know, Chris, Chris gear has, does deal with the, the, has dealt with the AHL team a lot, you know, how, you know, but he also does contracts. So it's not like he's going to be full-time assigned to, to the Abbotsford AHLers or whatever we're going to call them. Um, Abbotsford Arrows. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I don't really know where to guess. I do imagine. I can only imagine. I mean, I've talked obviously the scenes a few times over the you know last couple of years. Um, they've been so focused on sort of family and doing family stuff. Um, but you know, you know, at the end of the day, their kids are all in school, right? It's not like there's kids at home. It's not like me where it's like, oh yeah, if I'm not working, I'm dealing with the one year old and the three year old. Like their kids are older, um, so their days. You know, you at some point need something to fill your day. And well, they haven't played hockey for three years. So now they, you know, I, I could see why they'd be ready to, okay, let's fill our day in with something else. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I think I, 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 I you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I have no sense really necessarily where they're going in the end to answer your question. But, uh, you know, the, I think the Canucks would be smart to make. I, I, I said at the time, I thought like, this was a smart, smart idea, smart, you know, thing to make happen. But, uh, you know, it's certainly not a it's not a sort of instant cure for for all the things that need to be fixed. Yeah. So so PJ, I got one last question for you. Then uh, then you can then you can go uh, go about your day. Um, so we mentioned off the top that you know after everything that's happened this season, there's not really going to be a change in management, right? Like they're they're probably bringing in the Sedins like we just talked about. But other than that, Jim Bang is coming back. Travis Green's coming back. They're going to have the same hockey operations department. So. That leads me to believe that, you know, something when you finish seventh in the North division, like behind the Ottawa centers who everyone was predicting to finish last, like something has to change. And to me, that's got to be the roster, right? Like something has to change on the roster. So what roster changes do you see coming, heading towards next season? Like what, what's going to change? Cause some, again, something has to change from the season. You can't run it back. I think Sat made this joke last week. It's like the last dance, run it back, except like you didn't win anything and you did terribly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something I mean, has to change on the roster. So like what, what's, what's the solution there? Well, I mean, I'm just parroting up what Yannick Hansen said on the radio the other day, you know, like there's some good guys in there. Like Alex Edler has been handy and you know, I, I wrote about this, like, you know, Travis Hammond was handy. Both those guys were good. Like, but you don't want to play like they shouldn't be playing as much as they're playing. And, um, you know, Jack Rathbone certainly has potential, but you can't just turn and say, well, he's going to be the number three defenseman. Like what? Um, Quinn Hughes had a difficult year. You, you got to believe he'll be better next year. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and like, you know, Tyler Myers, I think has been discussed to death. Tyler Myers does some things really well, moves the puck. He does some things not that well defending. Like I wrote about this before they signed him. Um, and yet he's getting played like he's a number, you know, sort of number two guy. Like it's crazy. Um, so, you know, you, yeah, you, you're just going to run the same group back. Well, I mean, partly they don't have much choice because of what they did with themselves with the cap. Like, I'm not sure how you're going to fill in all those gaps or, or make improvements or, or, or what have you. I mean, Nate Schmidt, you want to have is better. And I, I really like Nate Schmidt. I think, I think he has potential to, you know, he does have, he, there was a reason they, they didn't just pick him up because, you know, they didn't have to give up very much. They picked him up because they believed he was the kind of player that they really need. And I, I totally understand that. Um, you know, so you, you, you hope that Nate Schmidt is closer to the player that you acquired, but at the, you know, at the end of the day, all these guys are kind of at best second pairing. I and, mean, you know, Quinn Hughes could be a number one guy. You know, you look at how good Kale McCarr has been and how close they were to start with. Well, you know, Quinn Hughes would like to be Kale McCarr. Um, and Kale McCarr is number one defenseman in one of the best teams in the league. So, 
Um, you know, if he can solve your problem, okay, that solves some of your problem, but you're still dealing with a whole bunch of like, it is this sort of perennial gym bending problem, which is that Jim's really good at kind of identifying guys that are kind of like, yeah, yeah, he exists and you can put him in the lineup, but he doesn't push the meter. And you know, you end up with, you don't end up with enough solutions. And so yeah, I they they should get it. They should go find themselves another defenseman. I mean, I've said this before. Try to see if you can pry someone out of Carolina or Colorado because they they're going to have protection issues ahead of expansion draft. Um, you know, you add a defenseman to that that does change some of the story here. Um, but yeah, your priority list is you need a number three center. You need another top nine winger. Um, you need at least one defenseman, probably two. Um, you know, if you're really trying to build the Patterson win, the Patterson Hughes window, um, in a certain level, you're going to need to think about the Bo Horvat role. Can you find someone, you know, can you draft a young center for that? Like, it sounds crazy. You know, I would like Bo Horvat, you know, I, I, as someone who's dealt with Bo Horvat over the past few years and has a lot of time for him, you want to see him win and you want to see him win here because he's been through so much. Um, but you know what? Maybe they're you know if you're gonna if you're looking at what your your um, big picture reality is, you have to start thinking in those terms again. Like you have to be honest with yourself. So you're saying trade Bo Horvat. That's 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 the sense I'm getting. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying trade right now. But like I'm saying, you have to be you have to think about where you are on the curve and what a player means to you and where where you want that player to be. They're not going to trade Bo Horvat. Let's be clear. Like that's yes. just not right. But you need to understand how you're how you're assembling the rest of it because you know what two or, you know, three or four or five years from now, well, we're about, he'll be 30, 31, right? Well, we're about, could very easily be a really nice, like imagine him as your third line center at that age. Like that's, that's awesome. Right. Um, because he still would be playing well enough to be a second line center. I think like he should be at that age. Right. Um, but it's just understanding what, where the strengths of your team need to lie. And this is the, the best teams add from the top, right? They push guys down the lineup. And so you need to be thinking in those terms. Not necessarily that you need to trade Bo Horvat, but you need to find someone that's actually going to push him down the lineup because you want your, you know, you just in the end want your younger guys at the top. You know what I appreciate about that last little part? You didn't mention the Toronto Maple Leafs as an elite team. We we did We didn't need... And I was ready to start a McCarthy style hearing to weed out all the leaf sympathizers in, in Canucks media. We, we, we don't need another Thomas Trance. Well, I was ready. I was, I was ready to start that. Let me put it this way. The Leafs, the Leafs have been very disappointed. They suck. They suck. All right. Forget it. (laughs) All right. BJ, thank you so much for, uh, for hopping on the podcast. And again, we'll have you on again soon. This has been a lot of fun. It's been, it's been great. Hopefully it'll be in person next time. All right. Thank you to PJ for hopping on the podcast. Much appreciated. A great conversation as always with one of the best Canucks reporters out there. Now for this podcast, we're always going to end with our thoughts on the Stanley cup playoffs right now. The Habs. Yes. The Habs up three nil three, nothing three zip over the Winnipeg jets. That Shifley hit really, I think knocked the sales out of the jets. Dubois not really doing anything. It's going to be tough sled for them. Habs in the East, and I guess not the Western Conference, but in the final four, they're calling it this year. Man, it must be so much fun being a Montreal fan. Every few years, you go on some sort of magical run to like the third round. 
God, that guy, that must be must be fun being a Habs fan for that. You just they randomly go on these deep runs into the postseason. The magic of the Habs sweater. That's must what it be, right? That must be what it is. No really other explanation to it. That Shifley hit. I think we talked about it on the last part. It was terrible, 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 terrible hit. This guy, it was a full length charge. He skated across the ice to, to lay this guy out. He knew what he was doing. He was just trying to blow the guy up because his team was about to about to blow the game. And four games, that's, ser- that's a serious suspension for the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's, I would say that's equivalent of like a 10-gamer in the regular season. So good on NHL player safety for doing the bare minimum, I guess. Tampa Bay, Carolina... Bolts up 3-1. I think a lot of people underestimated how good the Bolts would be once Nikita Kucherov came back into the fold. They look like the favorites to come out of that that side of the bracket. That power... You cannot take penalties against Tampa Bay. They will punish you. They will make you pay. And Carolina, it's t- I picked them to win the Cup before the start of the playoffs. They got a really deep team, but just tough draw against a really, really good Lightning team. Carolina's good. Tampa Bay's even even that much better. Boston, New York Islanders. Everyone keeps counting out the Islanders. The Islanders, they always seem to prove people wrong in the postseason. I think it's the, the style they play that they don't really have one real true superstar you can key in on. It's also this, you know, Barry Trotz. He's a good coach. He knows how to take away the strengths of his opponents and for for the Islanders, you know, they have a serious, I think, home ice advantage at the at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, the Collie as they call it. I think the series is going seven. I think it's going the full length, and I think the home teams are going to win each one. So I think Boston will win tonight. Islanders game six, and then Boston game seven, and Colorado Las Vegas. Man, people were ready to give Colorado the cup. After they went up 2-0 and after they won game one of that series in convincing fashion. 7-1, absolute drubbing. And last night, game four, Vegas kind of handed it back to them. They, they won 5-1 in convincing fashion as well. So it's a tied series. I think a lot of people, there's a lot of smart people, myself included, I'll put myself out there, that thought game one would be an outlier between Colorado and Vegas. Colorado had a serious rest advantage. Laner, they have to start him because I still don't know why. If that costs them, that costs them the series. That's going to be a serious blunder by Pete DeBoer. It's a playoff. Play your best guys. You don't have to rest guys in the playoffs. That's what the regular season is for. This is the first time probably the Avs have faced any sort of adversity this season. It's been smooth sailing for them pretty much the entire year. So I'm interested to see how they're going to Bounce back for for game five here. When it goes to uh, the ball arena, I guess they're calling it. And it's in Denver, of course. I'm interested to see how they'll bounce back because, again, they have not faced really any sort of adversity all season. They've been cruising all season. This is the first, you know, first stumbling block. Can they overcome this or are they just going to or are they just going to crumble? That's what's going to be interesting from game five for me to see. Anyways, that is today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network, a podcast. 
Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a whole heck of a lot. Next week, it's going to be something a bit different. It's going to be our 2011 10-year anniversary special with a special guest from that 2011 team who will be teased later on the week. I'll post it on our Twitter page, at Power the Towel, and you'll get your opportunity to ask him a few questions of your own. So that should be a lot of fun for the 10-year anniversary of the 2011 Stanley Cup playoffs. A nice trip down memory lane for everyone next week. Once again, this is Power the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.